It is my privilege to, to start off the series that, that we're in here in, in Auckland on the idea of revivalists. And really the series is, is looking at a bunch of people throughout history that God has used to bring transformation in their world. That God has used to, to let people know that they are loved, to, to change things that need changing, to bring restoration where, where we need to see restoration. And I don't know about you, the world is a beautiful place, but the world is also broken. There is brokenness, there is hurt, there are, there are things in the world that we look at and something innately in us goes, that is not the way that it should be. And I believe that the challenge and the call, the opportunity that we have as people of faith is to say, and I don't need to settle for how it is. I might not have all of the solutions on my own, but I can partner with a God who is exceedingly abundantly able to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine, and God can do something through me in this situation. And so this morning, I, I spoke about uh, this figure, D.L. Moody, and this idea of what does it look like to partner with God in, in prayer. But tonight, I really, I wanna talk about the idea of revival. I don't so much want to look at a, a particular figure, but I want to, when we say revival, that's a word if you've been in church for, for any period of time, you might have heard it a couple of times. We, we sing it in songs, it, it gets bandied about, but what does it mean, right? We all kind of nod our head like good Christians, like, yeah, 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 we want to see a revival. And, and no one's quite bold enough to turn to the person next to them and be like, hey, just, uh, just checking, what's revival? Right, like what is it when we talk about what are we wanting to see? What are, we, what are we believing for when we're praying for revival? As we look at these revivalists, what are we wanting to see happen? Is that all right? It's good because that's the only pair of notes I've got. If you're like, no, bad sermon, do another one, uh, we would be in a tough spot. Uh, but if you're taking notes uh, tonight, my sermon is titled, You've Got to Sow to Understand. Now, quick deep cut. This might be, I wasn't quite sure I ran it by. Does anyone remember a certain band from uh, New Zealand music history called Supergroove? Quick show of hands. Yeah, anyone's like, yeah, we got it. Does anyone remember the song you got to know to understand? When you got, we got any fans? Just want to give me a quick rendition of that. Just soaring, three, two, one. I didn't think that would work. That's got nothing to do with my message. I just thought it was a catchy title and now you'll associate it with that song. And then when you leave, you might go and play that song. And I think that would be a good thing because I think that's a good song. Right, so at least, again, I'm working on blessing you today. So if nothing else works out today, you'll have a great, uh, good song recommendation. Let's turn to the Bible, shall we? I think that's a good thing to, that's a good thing to do. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter four. We're gonna read verses 26 uh, to 29. It says this, Jesus also said, this is Jesus continuing a teaching, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline that. He does not understand how it happens. We'll come back to that, but that is, is the key question tonight. How did that happen? He does not understand how it happens. It continues, the earth produces the crop on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, I thank you for these moments together. God, as we gather together as, as your people, as your family, as we place ourselves in this room with, with expectant hearts, I pray that tonight it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be my ideas, but that you would speak. 
God, that you would speak to us directly, that, that we would leave here not just with good ideas, not just with songs that we've remembered, but having had an encounter with you, that we would, we, we would leave here different, that we would leave here empowered, that, that we would leave here encouraged, that we would leave here more convinced of your love for us and your love for others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, so here we are in, in Mark, and, and Jesus is sharing a, a parable, right? Jesus is sharing a, a story that illustrates a, a wider idea. And several of, of these stories, several of these parables are shared in Mark chapter 4, and they all share the, the common theme of being about seed. But they don't kind of run together. It's not like they build on one that, oh, the seed's like this, and then the seed's also like this. In each one, the seed is different. And in some, God is the sower, and some, we are the sower, and some, God is the farmer, and some, the seed is big, and some, the seed is small, and some, the, the size of the seed really isn't mentioned at all. But they all teach us something about the nature of the kingdom of God. They teach us something about the nature of the way that God wants to make things on earth and the way that God operates. And and in this parable in particular, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like when a farmer sows a seed, right? And in this example, it's it's not the farmer or the seed, but it's the process of growing a crop. Now, now, let me break this down. See, I want to start with the premise. I believe that all of us here today, no matter who you are, no matter what your relationship with with Jesus or church or, or, or any of the rest of that might be, we all have a seed. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 tells us hope deferred makes a heart sick, but, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. See, I think that inside each of us are God-given dreams, are, are hopes, are callings, are, man, I would love to see this happen in my life. They can be big things, they can be small things, but, but they're things that when they come to pass, they bring something of God's kingdom to, to pass here on earth. It's something of heaven here and now that, that, that looks like revival. Revival is how it should be in the here and now. And these dreams that we have, when they start to to happen, if they're God-given dreams, I believe when they come into fruition, we start to see glimpses, moments of, hey, this is how things are meant to be. They look like our friends and family coming to faith. They look like relationships being restored and made whole. They look like things that are wrong in the world being made right. And we carry those seeds. We, we carry those dreams, right? If, if a dream fulfilled is a tree of life, then, then the dream before it is fulfilled is a seed, right? You guys are sharp. You got it. You didn't. I was just trying to build up your confidence, right? But you'll get the next time. I believe in you. My dream for you. Uh, but, but I think it's interesting, right? Because the key to those dreams, the key to that is, is what we do with it. Because I think if we're honest, a lot of us, we, we have a stash of seed that we've never put in the ground. Right? We, we kind of can easily become professional seed collectors. We have journals full of dreams from God. We've got notes all throughout our phone. Man, it'd be amazing to see this happen. I think God wants to do this. I'm praying for this person in, in my life. I, I want to see this uh, creative expression come, come about in, in my life in some sort of way. And so we write it down and we think about it and we share them with others, but, but we never quite apply the dream. We never, to, to, to further the illustration, if the dream is a seed, we never quite sow it. We become professional seed collectors. We go, look at all of these dreams that I have. Look at all these amazing things that could happen. And I don't want to put them in the ground though. Because here in my collection, I can see them. 
Here in my collection, I can take them out and I can look at them. Look at all of these pretty dreams that I've got. But if I sow this dream, if I start believing for this dream, then maybe it won't grow. And it's better to always wonder if it could than find out that it didn't work out. So often we embrace the, 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 the weight of doubt rather than the pain of disappointment. But we don't realize that doubt only leads to disappointment anyway. So really what I'm saying is, is why do we hold on to our dreams? Because we do, don't we? we? We hold on to our dreams. I can guarantee that each and every one of us in this room, we have a dream from God that, that we're probably not quite pursuing in the way that we could be. I wanna, I wanna suggest tonight quite simply that I think there are two reasons that we hold on to our dreams. And, and my intent is that as I share these two reasons, it's my, my prayer that, that it would allow us to take stock and say, is that enough of a reason for me to hold back? Or should I plant what God has given me, trusting that God is going to grow something, trusting that while I don't understand, God is at work. So if you're taking notes, two reasons that, that I believe that we don't sow. Number one, we don't sow because it means waiting on a seed. Right, what, what, what happens when you plant a seed? I'll fill you in. At first, nothing. Right, does anyone remember at school, did anyone do like planting a, a bean sprout as like a school project? Quick show of hands, anyone do that? Yeah? My school, uh, I grew up in, in Wellington, in Paraparumu, and uh, it was a lower decile school, and I think they didn't have a lot to, to pad out our, our curriculum. So we did a lot of time, a lot of time was spent on, on this bean sprout project. I've found out in later years kind of a lot more time than they seem to have spent at any other school, which makes me feel a little bit bad about myself, but it's my story and it's what I've got, so that's fine, right? And so when, when we were doing this bean sprout kind of uh, thing at school, the, the first day what happened is the teacher gave us a pot. Uh, we're going to plant a bean sprout in this plot. Well, wow, that's amazing. And then the second day we came to school and like, today we're going to decorate the pot. So you can write your name on the pot. You can, you can paint on the pot. We're like, cool, we got it all nice and pretty. Third day came along. Now we're going to paper mache the pot. We're like, just over top of the, the writing. Don't ask questions, right? We're going to paper mache. Next, now we're going to paint it again and we're going to put glitter on it. And it went on and on and we prepared this pot, prepared. And then finally, now we're going to put some, some soil in the pot and we're going to sow a seed in the pot. And I remember coming back the next day, the day after we had sowed the seed, ready for something to happen because every day up until that day, something had changed. We'd written our names and then we'd paper mache and then we'd glittered and we'd glued and it, it had changed every day. But that day I came into the school and, and there was the, the pot beautifully decorated, if I do say so myself, and, and nothing had changed. And I remember going away and, and coming back and, and nothing had changed. And the day after, nothing had changed. And nothing I could do could change that outcome. Except for that one kid. Right, we all know that one kid who's like, oh man, nothing's growing here. I'll just have a quick look. Yeah, and, and so everyone's like, hey, don't touch. And he's like, digs up and he's like, look, I found it. It's growing roots. And everyone's like, yeah, now that's dead now, right? Just revealing my own insecurities. I might have been that child. Um, it's all right, I learned, right? Don't dig up the seed. What I'm saying is waiting is hard. When, when we do something and we sow something and we want to see something happen, it is hard to be in that space of waiting. In fact, one of the first stories that we have in the Bible and really the first story about waiting is that of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, you might know, they dream to have, have children, but for whatever reason, they're unable to, to conceive. And this is something they've accepted. Like, we're not going to, to have children. But then God speaks to them, and he challenges them to take this massive step of faith that's recorded in Genesis chapter 12. 
And what I want to do to, to show you how hard waiting can be, but a way that we can find through it is look at what happens in Genesis 12, and then we'll jump to Genesis 15. See, in Genesis 12, God says this to, to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And, and so they hear this and immediately they know, they're like, oh, well, if God said it, it's going to happen. We're going to be parents. This is the news that they've been waiting for. They, they get excited. They're like, oh, let's go home. They start picking out baby names. They start figuring out, I mean, how should we decorate the nursery? They live in a tent. So they're like, hey, we're going to put a little extra tent on the side of our tent for the baby. It's going to be the baby tent. It's going to be fantastic. They plan their Instagram gender reveal. They read all the scrolls on, on how to be a good parent. It was a Bible joke because in their books. Right, and, and so then they, they get to the, the part that we won't discuss in detail, but you know, they start trying for a baby. And, and they get to the end of the month and they're like, man, this is, this is, is going to be the month, this is going to be pregnant, and they've, they're not pregnant. Okay, well, maybe God's just giving us an extra month to prepare. Maybe we're just getting a little bit more time to, to get ready. And, and another month comes and, and they're not pregnant. And another month comes and, and, and they're not Pregnancy. In, in Genesis 12, God makes a, a promise, and we jump forward to Genesis 15. In verse 1, it begins some time later. It says, Some time later, the Lord speaks to Abraham. Now, I want to ask you, when is, when is some time later? Right? We read that and we're like, okay, like a couple of days later, and, and like a little bit, but, but scholars would, would tell us, in fact, scholars argue that it's much longer than, than we think. Scholars would suggest, in fact, that at minimum, 10 years has passed. 10 years from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. God says, hey, this is gonna happen in your lives. Abraham and Sarah received that promise, and sometime later, at least 10 years later, God comes to Abraham and speaks to him with a vision and says, do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, and in light of the fact that this is some time later, like at least 10 years after the promise, we can kind of read a bit of tone into Abraham's response, right? He says, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Like, God, come on, you promised this to me a while ago. I've been waiting on this dream. I've been waiting on this seed. Sometime later, at least a decade has passed, a decade or more of what appears to be unfulfilled promises and unrealized expectations. Month after month, at least 120 disappointments. Sometime later. Some of you might have your own experience of this. If you're like, God gave you a word, a dream, a seed, and, and, and you sowed it in faith. God, I'm believing that you're wanting to, to see this happen in my life. And, and it just didn't come to pass in the way or in the timing that you were hoping that it would. And if you're honest with yourself and if you're honest with God, you feel hurt. Like, God, I feel like you bought me this promise and I trusted you with it and, and I'm not seeing it work out like, like I thought that it would. I went out on a limb and I did what I felt that you called me to do. I've been praying and trusting and, and hoping, but, but what's happening? God, where are you? I wanna say that that's an all right place to be. I'm not saying it's an easy place to be. I'm not saying it's an enjoyable place to be, but I'm saying that you are in good company. That throughout the canon of Scripture, we find people again and again who encounter a promise in God, but don't see it work out in the way that they were expecting. That doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work out. But it does mean that sometimes waiting on a promise involves waiting, which we don't really like. 
Like waiting is not an enjoyable thing to do. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he's asleep or awake. The seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. While he's asleep or awake, the seed is growing. The farmer just can't see it. The farmer just can't understand how it's happening. That The hardest waits are the ones that you don't know how long you're waiting for, right? Like it's all right. In fact, studies have shown they, they took a, a bunch of patients in a doctor's waiting room. Doctor's waiting rooms are one of the most excruciating places to wait. Can we agree? Yeah? I was going to tell a story about going to after hours with a child, but just don't. It's, we can all agree. It's just a horrible experience, right? Waiting and you don't know how long. It could be that the doctor's going to come out and call your name in 10 seconds. Could be that the doctor's going to come out and call your name in three hours. You don't know. But you're sitting there always ready for the moment that it's going to happen. And so they did a study on this, and they actually found that, that if uh, patients in a doctor's waiting room are told, hey, you're going to be 10 more minutes, and then you're going to be seen. You're going to be an hour, and then you're going to be seen. Then their anxiety would decrease dramatically, even if how long they actually had to wait wasn't spot on with the number that they'd been given. If they were given like an actual number that they could hold on to, they felt a lot better. But when the patients in the waiting room are told, hey, the doctor's going to see you soon, anxiety, <laughs> right? That is a horrible place to be. And, and it's, it's, it would be easy to trust God if God would just give us a defined timeline. Like, hey, it's gonna work like this, then it's gonna work like this, then this is gonna happen, then this is gonna happen, and then it's gonna come about. It would be easy to sow our dreams if that was the way that it works, but it doesn't because that's not really trusting. That's control, right? If we know the timeline, then we don't have to trust God for anything. The solution is that we need to accept we don't know when, we don't know how, but we do know who. We know who says to wait. We know who says to trust. And there is such a temptation to want to know before we sow. God, I'll trust you with my dream if I can just know exactly how this is gonna work out. But God says, no, maybe you need to sow your dream, trusting that if I have given you this dream and if I have given you the call to sow it, that I'm gonna be faithful in what happens. See, the parable says, as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. I want to ask, how does the farmer know as soon as the grain is ready? How does the farmer know that the grain is ready? He, to know, he has to be actively waiting. He has to be checking daily. He has to be speaking out faith. He has to be pulling out weeds. See, waiting isn't simply a, God, I would love to see this happen. I'm just throwing it out to the universe. And if it comes to pass, it comes to pass. And that's all gonna be great. Waiting is active. Waiting is, God, I'm believing to, to see this person in my family come to faith in you. And so, God, I am praying for them every day. Waiting is, God, I'm believing to see this transformation in, in, in my health or in someone who's close to me in, in, in their health. And so I am praying every day. I'm embracing the discomfort of the wait of not knowing how long, but I'm stepping into it. See, I, I wanna suggest that in the wait, who we become is just as important, if not more important, than if the dream comes to pass or not. Let me say that again. Who we will be when the dream comes to fruition is just as important as if the dream comes to fruition. See, God is not a genie. God is not a vending machine. And could it be that the dream that God has given you isn't just to see the dream come to pass, but is in the process of that dream coming to pass to grow you into the type of person who can step into that dream? Could it be that if we got what we wanted when we wanted it, that's not actually the best thing for us? 
but that maybe God gives us a dream and an opportunity to trust him in the wait, to surrender control to him in the wait, to help us to grow into the type of person that we need to be when it's time for the dream to come to fruition. My second point today, and I'm almost done, just two points, is we don't sow because the seed looks insignificant. The, the, the parable that follows on from, from this parable in Mark of, of the kingdom being like the act of sowing a seed and the seed growing is, is found in Mark chapter 40, verse 30 to 32. It might be a little bit uh, more familiar to you. It says this, Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. I think so often we, we think of this passage and we think of it as, as inspiring, right? And I'm not saying it isn't, but I think what we do is so often we tie it to, to Luke or, or to Matthew 17 where Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move, and, and it, it would be cast into the sea, that nothing is impossible with mustard seed size faith. And that's true, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is saying here is quite a different example. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, something that seems small but has a massive impact. See, when you look at the dreams in your life, maybe, maybe they just seem small. Like John, I don't think I have a dream to change the world. I don't know if I have a dream to do incredible and, and, and amazing things. I, I just like to start this project. I just feel like this would be a cool thing to do. Maybe there's no one in your life who's battling a, a, a terminal disease, but, but your boss at work or your friend just, just happens to have a bad back. It's just a small thing, and, and it can seem small, but if your dream from God will change someone's world, can I suggest who knows where it will go? One of my favorite examples of this comes from, from Craig Grishel, Pastor Craig of, uh, of, of Life Church. You, you may have heard of him, uh, and a great friend of mine. That's not true. But his testimony is, is that when he was in college, he was a part of a, a fraternity. And, and the, the fraternity, as fraternities do, was uh, kind of in the party-throwing business. And, and so one thing led to another, and, and his frat developed a bad reputation on campus, and they were going to get shut down. And, and so as an act of kind of uh, PR image reconciliation, he decided, oh, man, we need to do something so that everyone doesn't think we're just this crazy party threat, a frat. But so what we're going to do is, is we're going to, let's hold a Bible study. Right? Like I'm sure he was like, okay, so partying over here is on one end of the spectrum. What's on the other end of the spectrum that can get us out of the trouble we're in? If that's partying, this is studying the Bible, right? So, so let's have a Bible study. Then everyone will think that we are mild-mannered, uh, nice people. And so he's like, okay, cool. We're going to have a, a Bible study. This is going to be incredible. He's like, oh, the only problem is I don't have a Bible. That's, that's tricky. What am I going to do about that? And so as he's thinking about this, the story he tells is, is he's walking across campus and a Gideon, one of these people that, that hands out Bibles, is in the middle of campus and kind of stops him and says, oh, hey, can I give you a, a Bible? And Craig's like, well, that's weird, because I have this problem where I need a Bible, and, and here is a Bible. That's that cool. Yes, thank you. And so he takes this Bible, and he, and, and he goes back to his dorm room, and he's kind of so struck by the, the, the way that that all worked out. He's like, oh, maybe I'll just, and he, and he opens the Bible, and, and in that moment, just God starts to speak to him. In that moment, he's like, man, this is, there's something in this. And he, and he reads his Bible, and one thing leads to another, and he finds himself in a church community, and, and he comes to faith in, in Jesus, and, and now leads this church that, that impacts thousands, hundreds of thousands around the world. But, but what I find so interesting about this story is, think about that Gideon. Right? That Gideon started the day with, with a dream. I'm going to hand out Bibles. 
That's not necessarily a big dream. That's a, a fairly small dream, a fairly small thing to do. And I think it would have been easy for him to think that morning, this doesn't really matter. Like no one's life is gonna be changed by whether I hand out these Bibles today or not. I'm just gonna go back to bed. But they didn't. They, they chose to go and, and to stand and to do what they felt called to do. And, and Craig tells the story of one day he was in a staff meeting and, and one of the staff raised the idea of turning the Bible into an app. Like, hey, let's, let's make the Bible an app that you can access on your phone. And so they're like, hey, that's a great idea. And they developed it. And as they were finishing development, people started suggesting, like, hey, we've put a whole lot of work and money and time into this. We should sell this app for like 99 cents. It's not going to cover costs, but, but just a little bit of something to, to help along the way. But, but Craig says he has this moment in the staff meeting where he thinks, hey, I was given a Bible for free. I was walking through campus and someone gave me a Bible for nothing and that moment changed the trajectory of my life. Whose life could be changed if we gave these Bibles away for free? So they made their Bible app free and and as of November of last year, that app has been downloaded over 500 million times. Now, I don't think when that Gideon set out that day with a small dream of I'm just giving away Bibles that anywhere in his mind was the distinct possibility that this action would directly lead to 500 million people receiving Bibles around the world. Well, it seemed like a small dream in that moment for him, but, but it transformed others' lives. He didn't know, he couldn't see the way that was gonna, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It looks small, it looks insignificant. The dream that you have may not appear large, but you do not know the ramifications of a seed sown in faith. I think another way that the seed can look insignificant is that we can be on the other side of that. We can be the Gideon who didn't get up that morning who chose to roll over and go back to bed and and, and slept through the call that we had that day. And so when God reminds us of the dream that's in our heart, we're like, God, I didn't do that. I slept through that call. I didn't hand out the Bibles. And maybe God reminds us years later on, I don't, I feel like that moment has passed. Surely the the seed is shriveled. Surely it's dead. Surely it's, it's gone. In, in 1963, I'm almost done, excavations at, at Herod's the Great's palace in the Masada Fortress in Israel found a jar, which isn't special in of itself when they're digging through these ruins. They find jars all the time, but this jar in particular contained six seeds from the extinct Judean date palm. And radiocarbon dating found that the seeds were from sometime between 155 BC to, to 64 AD, that these seeds were almost 2,000 years old. It's like, wow, that's cool. We found some really old seeds. And they didn't want to do with them, so they put them in storage until one day, years later, in fact, another 42 years later, a woman named Elaine Soloway from the Center for Sustainable Agriculture came along and she said, hey, look, these are just sitting here. I wonder what would happen if I tried planting it. And she was skeptical. She thought it had been dried up for too long, that the seed would no longer be viable, but she put the seed in good soil and she waited. And, and, and the seed sprouted into a sapling. And as of today, it, it looks like this. This is Methuselah, the Judean date palm, Methuselah. That's a great Bible joke. It stands over 10 feet tall. This, this date palm, which until this moment in which they found these seeds was thought to be extinct, a 2,000 year old seed. And what's even more amazing about this is the, the Hebrew word for this tree, for, for this date palm is the word tamar, which is used to symbolize grace and elegance. 
See, I think it's amazing that God would create this beautiful modern parable that that these seeds that were found, the Judean date palm had been extinct for over 800 years. It had been wiped out as a result of devastation from wars and foreign and rule. But, but the oldest seed, though destroyed, thought destroyed, when placed in the right conditions, resulted in a plant that represents grace and elegance. So I want to tell you today that it's never too late to sow, that God brings beauty for ashes. Because the primary factor in the germination of a seed isn't the age of the seed, it's the quality of the soil. When, when the conditions are ideal, a hormone in the seed initiates germination process, and that process is unique to each plant. Some seeds, in fact, need to be eaten. They need to pass through the digestive tract of an animal before they germinate. Maybe you're here today and you feel like your dreams have been through some stuff. And right now, if you're honest, you feel like you're sitting in something. Or you've been through it and you're out the other side. Could it be that God can use that? That God can use that very process that you've been through that you thought destroyed your dreams to bring them to life. In fact, some seeds don't just need to be eaten. Some seeds, they need to be burnt. There are some plants that will not germinate until after a forest fire, until after something has come through that has destroyed everything else. Something that everyone would look at in the middle of the aftermath of this ash and say, there is nothing that can come from there. And in that place after the fire, these seeds start to sprout. Maybe that's how things look for you. How can anything grow? It's just me and everything's been burnt down. But, but could it be that from the destruction and the ashes, God is bringing life that, that nothing is wasted? See, as I finish, this, this picture of planting is it's central to who we are as a people of faith. See, the parable that Jesus is giving of, of these seeds, the, the, the overarching idea that no one gets in the moment that He is telling them is, is He's referring to something that has not happened yet. He's referring to the fact that He is going to sow His life for us. And He started to tell His disciples, His inner circle, what's gonna happen. And all of them are trying their very best to stop Him from going to anything that might result in His death because to them, His death would mean the end of everything. And in fact, Jesus was crucified, as we know. He was laid to rest in a tomb and the disciples wept. They, they held a funeral because they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't dead, but He was planted. And that in three days they received a harvest. See, Jesus sowed his life knowing the bigger picture, which brings us full circle back to the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 15. See, Abraham is, is in his tent and he's telling God what he doesn't see. He's saying, God, I don't have a son. And so, so how can I be blessed? He's given up on his dream. In verse five of Genesis 15, we read this, then Lord took Abraham outside. God meets Abraham and he takes him outside. And, and simply that's what I hope happens for us here today. That in the midst of our uncertainties, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our limited perspective, we would allow God to take us by the hand and lead us out from under our tent to look up at the sky. Because when Abraham looks up at the sky, that is the moment that God says to him, your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. I'm doing something beyond what you can understand or prepare for here, Abraham. See, to plant now, you need to dream for the future. You need to allow God to take you outside. Inside our tent, things are familiar. Things are in our control. Just like inside a, a seed, the plant is safe. Nothing will grow, nothing will happen, but it's safe. But a plant cannot grow until it sheds its casing. And to do that, it takes in water and it softens the hard protective layer that it's been hiding in. It drops its walls. 
Can I suggest tonight that maybe for some of us, for our dreams to germinate, we need to lower what has been protecting us until now. We need to lower it. I just don't wanna hope for that because hope hurts. And so I'm just putting up this wall of, of I'm just choosing not to go there. I, I'm choosing not to believe that God could do that because what if I believe that God could do that and He doesn't do it and it's better to just be in this place of doubt than it is to be in the pain of disappointment. But a seed cannot grow until it drops the walls that are keeping it safe. And those walls have kept you safe until now and, and we can thank them for it, but you cannot become what you are meant to be. The dreams that God has placed in your heart cannot germinate into something that brings life, not just to you, but those around you until we put down those seeds and say, God, I am willing to embrace the season of vulnerability. I'm willing to trust you in this space. We can't dream if we stay inside the tent. We need to let God take us outside. Then God took Abraham outside and he said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. This is the thought I wanna leave you with. We are those people. We are those people. Galatians chapter three, verse 29 says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. You are a seed of Abraham. Here's what I hope you'll understand. Abraham was dreaming of a son. God had you in mind. Abraham was thinking, man, I'd love to have someone to pass on my, my lands and my property to. God was saying, through this family, through what I am doing in these people, I'm gonna bring restoration to the world that is gonna set things right in a way that no one has ever known. Through this line, my son will come who will step into flesh, take on the sin, the shame, the depravity, the guilt and the pain of humanity and create a way where there is no way. Abraham was looking for an immediate solution to the life that he was leading. God could see you and he he was planning for it. One seed, one free Bible handed out on a campus resulted in 500 million Bibles distributed people worldwide. So you may not see it today. Your seed may seem small. Sowing your seed may seem scary, but can I suggest that if we would simply sow a seed in faith, we do not understand the lengths of which God will go to. What does revival look like? Revival looks like a people who are bold enough, who are trusting enough, who are vulnerable enough to say, God, I've got this dream. And if it doesn't happen the way that I want it to happen, I'm gonna be so disappointed, but I'm gonna trust that if you've given me this dream, God, you're gonna do something with it. And so I'm not holding on to it for me anymore. I'm not holding this back for me, thinking one day, waiting for a perfect moment, waiting for a perfect opportunity. I'm standing in faith and I'm sowing my seed and I'm waiting and I'm watering God and I'm going to do everything that I can and I'm going to trust you for everything else that I can't do.